maybe people will, you know, trade with the Colombian peso. Uh, I doubt it. Historically, gold has always been used to write off the debt. It's like, I don't think I'm going to wreck my car tomorrow, but I still have car insurance. There's going to be this, uh, this aha moment in the bond market where they go, wait a second. It makes the world a big prison, and I just don't think that ends well. We're the frog, and the water's bubbling. This isn't this isn't a sauna. This is a <laughs> we're dinner. Even though the world finds itself in various states of lockdown, the wheels of the global economic machine continue to turn, albeit at an ever slowing rate. In this series of conversations, I'm joined by some of the best and brightest minds it's been my pleasure to befriend over the last 35 years to try and gain some insight as to what we can expect the coming months to bring. Will equity and bond markets bounce back? Does a blizzard of multi-trillion dollar stimulus packages mean that central banks have finally reached the end of the road? And if so, what happens next? Is the world facing an even greater depression? Or is a return to the inflationary spiral our likely future? from markets to mortgages, from policy to politics, and everything in between. Please join me for the 2020 Humanar series. The third of my conversations brought together two dear friends of mine who, for several years, have been box office gold on Twitter, as their debate about the future of the dollar captured the imagination of thousands. Brent Johnson, the founder of Santiago Capital, and Luke Groman, the founder of Forest for the Trees, are two of the most likable protagonists in the financial world, and each of them has drawn a very different roadmap for arguably the most important asset in global finance today, the US dollar. In Brent's milkshake theory, the dollar first melts up, sucking in capital from all over the world, before crashing as the final act in the current day monetary system. Luke takes the opposite view, suggesting the dollar is about to head towards what is its intrinsic value zero. Both, however, agree that the end game is gold. So who's right? Listen in and pick a side as we welcome my friends Brent Johnson and Luke Groman. Hey there. Here we go. Here they are. Brent, welcome, my friend. Thank you, sir. Happy to be here. Luke, great to see you, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, Luke. Hey, Brent, how are you? Good, man. All right. Listen, we, I need a bit more, a little bit more aggravation, okay? Just because this is actually also on pay-per-view. HBO is going to screen this live. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. Um, I told my wife, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck at home. I told my wife she couldn't vacuum for like an hour. So, but if she does, I apologize. <laughs> just, just if, if, if I see that she's vacuuming exclusively when Luke talks, I'm going to know that you've set her up for this break. <laughs> All right, well, look, let's, what, what I'd love to do um, to set the stage for this, uh, Brent, I think is just to get you to lay out your very well formed and very well known by this point, milkshake theory, just in broad strokes so people can get a really elegant sense of one side of the argument. Because at the moment, you know, it's, it's playing out very much along your lines. So if you could just outline the milkshake theory in all its glory, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Yeah, okay, so the dollar milkshake theory, it's really a play off of the movie There Will Be Blood with Daniel Day-Lewis where he goes off and he tells one of his competitors that he's gonna stick a straw in the ground and he's gonna drink the other guy's milkshake. That's kind of where I got the idea, but it really comes down to a fact that I think that we're heading into a currency crisis uh, that was much debated a couple of years ago. I think that's much less debated today. Um, but the currency crisis, I think, will develop because of a, 
a, a very wide mismatch between the demand for the U.S. dollar uh, all around the world and the lack of supply of the U.S. dollar all around the world. And I think as we get further into that uh, currency crisis that all global liquidity, whether it's initially created in the U.S. or initially created in Europe or initially created in uh, Australia or Japan or China, uh, will get uh, squeezed, for lack of a better word, into the U.S. dollar. Uh, and I think that will then flow into the United States. And I think our capital markets will hold up better. It doesn't mean they will hold up well, but it, I think they will hold up better than the rest of the world. And so I think it ends in a kind of a blow off top with the, the U.S. drinking the rest of the world's milkshake. Uh, it, it will all end very badly. Uh, but until then, I think on a relative basis, the U.S. outperforms. Um, so that, that's kind of it in a, in a very quick, broad sense. Yeah, no, again, again beautifully stated. Um, Luke, why is he wrong? <laughs> I think he's right about the dollar. Uh, I think he's wrong about the markets uh, in terms of the rising dollar uh, being good for the stock market. And, you know, it's interesting that from the time we have seen, um, from the time we have seen the dollar bottom in 1Q18 until now, uh, the S&P, well, before today, I haven't checked it with today's movement, but before today, the S&P was down over that two-year period. And what I think, uh, the reason why I think uh, the U.S. markets won't react well or even that much better than the emerging markets past a certain point. I think, I think he's been exactly right for a span of time in uh, 2018. We saw rising dollar, rising Fed funds rates, uh, rising equity markets. And I think that lasted for five or six months. And, and um, I think that was exactly right. And I think once you get past a critical tipping point, um, because there's nobody more short dollars than the U.S. government, uh, it starts to feed on itself. It becomes self-resolving. And the, we saw the first resolution of that with the sell-off in equities in 4Q18. Uh, we saw that continue with the Fed having to backtrack through 2019. Uh, the Fed have to start growing their balance sheet again in 3Q19. And so ultimately, the reason we, th we, we thought that that would happen is if you look back to, you know, say the mid-90s time frame, when this type of dynamic uh, worked before in terms of uh, a sustained period of dollar up, equities up, uh, you know, rates up, et cetera, um, the world was structured very differently. And by that, I mean, um, you had, for example, uh, the U.S. net international investment position in 1995 or six uh, was negative one and a half percent of U.S. GDP uh, in 2007, 2008 it was negative 8% of US GDP. Today, it's negative 55% of US GDP. Uh, back in 95, uh, you had the US about to run a period of five straight years of uh, in aggregate surpluses. And so the US had no federal deficits uh, to, to finance uh, and global central banks were still buying treasuries. Uh, fast forward to today, uh, since 3Q14, Global central banks have stopped buying treasuries on net deficits are at recessionary levels before we went into this recession and are now looking at hitting much higher levels. But the reason this is important uh, is ultimately uh, this dollar shortage exists um, and it's whatever it is. The BIS has said $12 trillion, $13 trillion. Uh, the challenge uh, as it relates to U.S. equity markets and why I have thought that they would not respond well to a strong dollar is uh, foreigners hold... 12 to $13 trillion net of US assets. That's that negative 55% of NIIP. And so 
if they're short dollars and they need dollars, they will sell US dollar denominated assets. And so it's, um, and, and you know, we've seen that play out, you know, most recently, um, you know, in, well, obviously equities, but even, you know, two weeks into the equity sell-off, we saw the treasury market crash and the Fed quickly respond with um, liquidity facilities to basically, uh, you know, buy back, you know, <laughs> a share buyback program for treasuries from foreign central banks. So, you know, bottom line, that's where, um, you know, that's where we shake out on it is just the, the I think we both agree there's this dollar shortage. Um, our view is that, you uh, U.S. assets will be sold with everything else to ameliorate it globally. Well, this, yeah, this is what I find interesting about this because uh, you know I think you're both right. This is just a question of timing, right? And and I think uh, the, the the one question that I have about all of this, uh, Brent, and I'm going to throw this to you because yeah. I think because it does relate to your milkshake. Let's say you've you've it's almost like you've had a crystal ball. The way you've described what's happening, there was a lag. Obviously, we had that period, you know, through 19 where you didn't really get that until we saw this lift off in the dollar. Yeah. Um, but when, when you think about what's happening, you think about the way this has played out, what do you think it goes through the central bank's minds? Because we all understand that the, you've called it a wrecking ball, a strong guy, right? And yeah. it is everywhere. Yeah. They will stop at nothing to stop it. What part of your, of your theory explains how they will be unable to stop this? Whether it be swap line, you know, unlimited swap lines, et cetera, yeah. what won't they be able to do? Well, first of all, I would say that um, they're going to, I agree with you that they're going to try. Um, and so where do I, th you're basically answering me, asking me, where do I think the Fed's going to fail or, or where, where do the authorities fail? And I think the idea of limited swap lines is true in theory. I do not believe that it is true in actual implementation. I think that there are political and economic ramifications of unlimited swap lines to foreign central banks. It doesn't mean that they won't try, but uh, uh, I, I don't think that politically the Fed can get by with bailing out Norway when people in North Carolina don't have jobs. I don't think that the Fed can get away with bailing out France if Trump is trying to save Boeing and they're competing with Airbus. Uh, I don't think that, uh, you know, the Fed, the, the, this independence between the Fed and the Treasury, which has been this great myth for, you know, 100 years, uh, I don't think that that's going to last. I think that that myth is going to, it's quickly going by the wayside if it's not gone already. And so the idea that the U.S. is going to be, or the Fed is going to become the de facto central bank to the rest of the world, we're going to provide all this capital to them, and there's not going to be any political or social or economic ramifications, I think is just completely wrong. Now, it doesn't mean they won't try, but uh, I think there's going to be much blowback. But do, do you think, I mean, well, I, I've thought about that myself, and it, and it seems to me that firstly, the swap lines, again, it's another one of these pieces of the financial jigsaw that's just complicated enough yeah. that when you think about this in terms of outrage by the man in the street about not getting bailed out, Norway being bailed out, I don't think the people in the man in the street has the first clue what a swap line is, how it's understandably taken liquidity, potential liquidity away from them and putting it in the hands of of foreign countries, um, I I, and what's I to stop them? What's to stop them? Sorry, what's to stop them doing both bailing out the central banks and the man in the street? Which seems to me where they're headed at the moment. Well, I, I think initially they will, but I think initially the man in the street calls bullshit. I guess you know, for lack of a better word, you know, yeah. right now I don't think anybody realizes it. Right now, everybody just wants their money, right? Everybody wants their job. Everybody wants to be able to go back to their job, and so. 
And because this has all been, you know, encased in the in the response to this COVID virus that everybody's scared to death over, um, you know, I would say politicians are getting a, and monetary authorities are getting a very wide latitude to operate without any blowback. Uh, but I, I think that is not going to last as much longer either. Um, you know, to be able to just lock down economies for three, four, five, six months and not let people go outside, not make, let people make a living and have people just stay home and be happy, I think is uh, very naive. Um, you know, as an example, I saw, and this is just anecdotal, but I'm sure this is happening everywhere. And, and I bet it will start to happen here in the U.S. is there was this video that was going around. I believe it was India. I might be wrong, but I think it was in India where they showed the cops were going out and they were overturning food carts of people, you know, street vendors who were trying to uh, sell their food and the people who were trying to buy the food, uh, you know, to, to, to lock down millions of people and not let them earn money and not let them get food and not let them, you know, have a life. It, it makes the world a big prison. And I just don't think that ends well. Um, now that that's just one social ramification of of, of this, and and I, and I think there will be many, um, but you know we're not there yet. This is this the the authorities are going to try everything they can, and they will be successful for periods of time. But you, the one thing uh, you got to remember is that everything they've done is just an, it's it's kicked the can down the road. There has not been one policy that's been put in place that goes to solving the actual problem which is in a debt-based monetary system, you can never pay off the debt. It's exponential. And so all they've done is you know, provide short-term liquidity and extend the loans. And so if we don't hit the problem right now, maybe they kick it down the road six months, maybe they kick it down the road 18 months, but we will come upon this problem again until the underlying issue is solved. Well, you know, I wanna come back to that point a little while because that, that idea when you talk about the debt-based financial system, obviously, if the debt gets defaulted on, the dollar short goes away. So I definitely want to come back to that later on. But Luke, when you look at um, everything the Fed are trying to do um, and other central banks around the world, whether it's through the swap lines, and you see the announcement today from the IMF, which we saw, which I saw in your Twitter feed earlier on this morning. How do you place the, the moves they're making? What chance do you give them a success? And where do you see the potential weak points are and what they're trying to do? I think the weak points are simply in, um, you know, not doing enough fast enough relative to the pace of deterioration in the underlying economy. I think ultimately the Fed is now in a corner. Um, you know, we've been saying, you know, for a couple of years, basically, um, you know, in the next crisis, the Fed is, is going to be forced to either effectively bail out the entire Euro dollar system or the system's going to collapse. And by that, that means, the Fed takes their balance sheet to 30, 40, 50 trillion dollars in a relatively short time frame, or the system collapses and global central banks that, uh, you know, as you guys both know, have been buying and repatriating gold uh, as rapidly as they can. Um, you know, last fall, the Dutch National Bank came out and said, look, if, if, if the system collapses, it will be restarted using gold. Um, and so... Uh, with the where the gold is sitting, you know, it's, it's a matter of adding a zero or two to the end of gold, you know, to the end of the gold price, and you go, you, you start over there. And so the Fed, you know, this, what this COVID crisis really does is it brings forward, um, you know, this balance of payments problem within the dollar system that began when global central banks stopped buying treasuries back on a net basis back in 3Q14. And so, um, you know, our view is that, 
you know, they're going to, you know, they're effectively going to be forced to bail out the euro dollar system. And if they don't, then the system's going to collapse and, you know, the dollar will super spike. And, you know, at some point on that dollar super spike, the dollar will no longer be able to buy physical gold anywhere in the world. And, you know, after the whole system collapses, um, you know, gold will be priced at, you know, 16,000 or 60,000 or 100,000 an ounce. And, you know, everyone will look around and, oh, the Americans have a bunch, the Chinese have a bunch, Goldman Sachs has a bunch. Um, and uh, we just start back over. And, you know, that speaks to the point of um, historically debt-based systems, they go through these periods of, you know, build up and then there's a jubilee. And historically, gold has always been used to write off the debt. It's the final settlement. There is no counterparty uh, risk to it. And that's where I think this movie's ultimately going. And we're sort of now in the days where, um, you know, the Fed, you know, we've seen the Fed's balance sheet get to six trillion very quickly. Um, you know, today the FT saying, hey, it's going to be nine trillion pretty soon. And that's just a down payment. It's probably be 20 trillion possibly by, you know, the end of the third quarter at this pace, depending on what happens uh, to the COVID crisis. And I just think we're going to get some point in time, I mean, this, this afternoon, the Fed's going to start buying small business administration loans effectively. Um, there's going to be this, uh, this aha moment in the bond market where they go, wait a second, we're the frog and the water's bubbling. This isn't, this isn't a sauna. This is a, <laughs> we're dinner. And at that point, you know, things will get real interesting because basically the bond market will get put to the Fed. And that's where you go from 10 trillion to 30 trillion in two weeks. Um, and I think that that's where this is going. And I think their balance sheet's infinite. They can do it. Uh, it's just a question of the risk to me is, you know, if whenever they get behind the eight ball, we're going to have weeks like we had three weeks ago where the S&P drops 15%. And then when they come out and say, we're going to print $650 billion in a week, S&P goes up 15%. Um, and, and the dollar falls 4%. And I think that that's really, you know, the dynamic we're going to be facing going forward. So, so what is it you think, Luke, that, um, that the bond market isn't getting? Because the bond market you know, is smart, let's face it. It always has been, it's way smarter than us equity guys. Um, and yet, I, I agree with you, the roadmap is clear. They've, they've taken it to six trillion in a heartbeat. They've made all these promises. They've said unlimited liquidity. Um, and I agree with you, I, I mean, I don't know if they get to 30, 40, I don't know where they go, but we know it's going up and the trajectory is gonna be practically vertical. What is it that the bond market is missing? Is it purely a, a, a safety, a panic bid for the bond market right now? Because I can't understand when you look this far down the road and the past seems that straightforward to me as it, as it does, I don't get what the bond market is missing unless it is just pure panic right now. I think there's an element of pure panic. I think the bond market historically, you know, at, at major turning points in what I would say geopolitically tinged events um, has, has at times missed it, right? So, you know, you go back to uh, 1941, U.S. economy was was you know slowing again uh, in November of '41, and you know ten-year Treasury yields have been falling for 12 straight years and throughout the Great Depression, and you know it was an easy trade by 10 years. It's you know the <laughs> economy's slowing again, and then the next month. Now this is despite the fact the world has been at war for four years. The Japanese have been running around the Pacific since '37. Um, you know there were tensions. The U.S. had been increasing tensions with Japan. FDR put uh, had embargoed their oil in April or June of that year. There are clear signs that things were moving in the direction of war. In which case, the last thing you want to own are long-term treasuries or long-term bonds of any stripe. Um, but 
the bond market did not forecast it until the Japanese bond, uh, bond Pearl Harbor. And then bond yields backed up uh, from, call it two to two and a half. And Treasury came, or excuse me, the Fed came in and said, we will buy every 10-year Treasury uh, the Fed offers, uh, or excuse me, the Treasury offers at two and a half percent, no questions asked. And over the next 10 years, the Fed proceeded, they didn't have to buy that many 10 years to keep that, but they basically turned the yield curve into a Frankenstein yield curve, where they did have to buy a lot of the short end. Uh, the balance sheet rose 10x over five years off a very low base. Uh, and, you know, every, you know, Treasury holders got every dime they're promised uh, on a nominal basis. They just, you know, the S&P rose 5x in that time, and, you know, inflation rose significantly. And so I think Part of it is in these massive turning points, and I think we're in one of these now in terms of what is increasingly appearing to be a nasty divorce between the U.S. and China, uh, and increasingly, um, you know, as we talk about, first time in 70 years, foreign central banks are not sterilizing U.S. deficits, um, you know, also seeing, um, uh, you know, baby boom generation, some of these big generational turns. I think that's part of it. And then I think the other part is just so much of the bond market uh, is is duration matching. You know, they get paid to match a liability. And if the liability is, you know, for growing X and they, they, they don't care, they, they are not, they don't have to worry about real. They're not paid to worry about real. Uh, and so it's just not something they get paid to get paid to think about. You know, Brent, just, just bringing you back in this talk there about turning points, resets, whatever you want to call them. Um, yeah. You know, the three of us have spoken about this before that the system, for want of a, a less simplistic word, is probably overdue for a reset, right? And you look through history, and they happen all the time, and they're, they're big uh, epoch-defining events. We just happen to have not had one for 50 years. Do you, do you think that where we are now is, is on the cusp of some kind of reset? And if so, uh, is the dollar the trigger for that reset, or is the dollar something that has to be factored into that reset it's going to happen anyway yeah so so first i'd say yes i think we're on the cusp of that second i, I would say yes the dollar is the cause of it and the third thing i'd say is the dollar is the cause of every financial move in the world right now everything is the whole world i don't care what anybody says the whole world is one big trade and it's all based on what the dollar is and what the monetary authorities action reactions to the dollar is um but before we get to the big reset, I think one thing I would say is that whenever we talk about the reset, we always talk about the dollar reset. And that's fine. That's coming. But there's also going to be a yuan reset. There's also going to be a euro reset. There's also going to be a yen reset. This is not a U.S. problem. I mean, it is a U.S. problem, but it's not exclusively a U.S. problem. And my point that I want to get to across to everybody, and probably the reason I've pounded the table on this so hardly for the last couple of years is... Yes, yes, yes. The dollar is an absolutely horrible currency. I get it. I get it. I get it. But so is the yen and the euro and the yuan and the real and the, you know, they all went to the same schools. They all went to, they all, you know, the central bankers all know each other. They all have the same functionality. Everybody has the printing press. It's not like it's unique to the United States. And because of the design of the system and because there's currently not an alternative, now someday there will be an alternative, but right now today, there is not a globally available alternative other than gold. And for many reasons that we probably don't have time to go into today, monetary authorities hate gold. They may eventually have to embrace it, but right now they hate it. And other than gold, there's no alternative on a global basis to go to other than the dollar. So when this reset starts to happen on regional and national and then global levels, there's a progression. 
And I believe it will happen at the regional level and the, you know, the, the country level before it happens at the global level. Remember, the dollar is the global currency. The individual currencies are those countries. There is no demand for yen outside of Japan. There's no demand for euros outside of Europe. There's no demand for Brazilian reals outside of Brazil. But there's demand for dollars everywhere. And so when you get into this uh, period where everybody needs dollars, <coughs> excuse me, whether they like it or not, everybody needs dollars, that's what you go to. And you've seen that over the last couple of weeks. That's why you saw everything just being margin called because they didn't care what price they got. They just needed dollars, including bonds. Bonds got sold because even though U.S. dollar bonds could be considered a proxy for the dollar, they didn't need U.S. dollar bonds. They needed U.S. dollar cash. Um, so, you know, I think this is a, you know, we are getting towards the end of this debt super cycle. Um, there is a reset coming. I just think that there's a progression to the reset. And I think it, it, it really behooves everybody to understand the progression that I believe will happen. Now, it's possible I'm wrong. I don't think I'm wrong, but it's possible I'm wrong. So should you own some gold? Of course you should own some gold. Of course you should be prepared for that eventuality. But this whole idea that it's either or, I think is just completely wrong. You can own both dollars and gold. Yeah, no, I mean, clearly right now you're absolutely right. But, but let's, let's, try, let's try and synchronize this, this, this kind of cascading reset, if you like, as it goes around the world. Because for me, uh, you know, I would imagine that Asia would probably be the first place to go. Um, it would make sense for me that that would be the, the weakest link in the chain. But if I think through uh, some kind of reset in Asia, it involves defaulting on a lot of dollars and, and just evaporating a lot of that demand for dollars. So how, how do you see the default cascade happening? Am I wrong about Asia being the trigger point? How do you see it unfolding? You know, I've, I've had this debate with myself between where's the trigger point. Is it going to be Hong Kong, China, or, you know, Italy? I, you know, I don't know. It, it's, it's a toss-up for me between Europe and, and China, or Europe and Asia, because I, I think either one could happen. And, you know, if one happens, it probably happens to the other one fairly quickly. Um, but here's the thing is with, you know, this goes back to your question earlier about, you know, debt-based monetary system and defaults. So I have a lot of people who will make the argument that, I just haven't considered the fact that people will just default on the dollar and walk away. Well, I actually have considered that. <laughs> it's actually a key part of the theory. Um, and the fact is, is that if, some, if their country walks away, defaults on the debt, they can do that so long as they have enough trading partners that are willing to transact with them in their local currency. Now, maybe people will you know, trade with the Colombian peso uh, I doubt it. I mean, the U.S. is their biggest trading partner, but maybe they will. Uh, you know, I don't think that the rest of the world is going to trade in Turkish lira, but maybe they will. Uh, I think it's a low probability event, but it's possible. Uh, but if, you know, if you go out and you default on your dollar debt, two things happen. Number one, the demand goes down. So the demand for that dollar debt is now gone. Fine. That's a linear de de fall in demand for, for that amount of that loan. But that default has a exponential effect on the dollar money supply because all money is loaned to ex into existence. Somebody's um, loan is another person's asset. And when that asset gets impaired, then their asset, when, when that loan becomes impaired, then that person's asset becomes impaired. And then somebody else who does business with them comes impaired. And it's a daisy chain all the way back up to the base money, which everything is loaned into existence off of. 
So defaulting actually leads to a bigger dollar spike rather than a lower dollar spike because there's less demand. And if you need any evidence, just go look at markets over the last three weeks. It's just like a margin call. You know, when, when one of your stocks drops, which is the equivalent of a default in this scenario, the margin call goes up. It doesn't go away. Um, and so the demand for until there's an escape hatch somewhere else to go to, the demand for dollars goes up in a global uh, default scenario or, or a progression. It doesn't go down. Look, you and I have both um, written about and talked about uh, this let's call it shadow financial system being set up quietly amongst, you know, the Chinese and the Russians and the Turks and all, all the, all the quote unquote bad actors. You know, when Brent talks about this, you know, he makes a very good point. Oh, we saw this in Argentina, right? Argentina have just defaulted, right? There's only a matter of time, but it's, it's happened in the last couple of days. When you, and it's, I think it's only the ninth time. I think one more default, and they wouldn't have set a state knife or something. I'm not quite sure how the whole thing works, but, but when, you, when we think through this shadow dollar system, um, you know, and Brett's point is well made and taken. Do you see that as a, a valve to release some of that pressure in that these countries will be able to do business with each other in crucial resources in their own currencies using either gold or perhaps oil as the anchor to that? Yeah, not only can they, they are. Um, you know, the, I think when you talk about what would be the process of the reset, you know, I think the first thing you would see would you'd see a move uh, to begin uh, pricing and settling energy in particular, uh, but commodities more broadly uh, in currencies other than the dollar. Because ultimately, uh, if you look at, you know, let's say, you know, let's take the biggie, China, um, but Europe as well, you know, the two, the sort of the two big credit regions, Europe and, and, and China, uh, they're both uh, credit, you know, trade creditors, current account creditors, uh, but they run massive deficits uh, on commodity imports and in particular energy. And so what that speaks to is, is if they can, um, you know, somehow find uh, commodity energy suppliers willing to transact in their local currencies, then that starts to really uh, take the teeth out of you know, the weaponization of the dollar, which has become a matter of national security for all these guys uh, you know, since after 08, but in particular since after the U.S. Uh, weaponized the dollar you know, through the SWIFT system in 2012 against Iran. And so you, know, you saw it start with Russia, uh, Venezuela. Um, you know, we've heard credible rumblings that Saudi and China signed a deal three months ago. Uh, to sell in yuan or dollars, uh, China's choice. And uh, once that starts to happen and, and, and you say, okay, well, why are they going to take yuan? Well, they're going to take yuan because they can, you know, take the yuan and they can buy any number of Chinese goods with it. And, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, that was, you know, any assortment of sort of, you know, cheap plastic trinkets at, at Walmart. And, you know, now it is, you know, China 2025 type goods. Um, and that starts to, you know, so you're effectively settling, you know, there's not these big imbalances building up that need to be recycled into a big sovereign debt market uh, like treasury bonds. And uh, any net amounts can be, can be settled in gold. And, you know, you've got, you've seen China kind of quietly go around, started with the Shanghai Gold International Board in 3Q14. Uh, then they moved to Hong Kong in 2015. Uh, you saw it in Dubai in 2017. Uh, you saw in early 2019 that the, uh, the uh, renminbi trading in London uh, surpassed euro pound trading uh, in London. 
Um, and we all know that, you know, London is the gold trading capital of the world. So there's, you know, renminbi flowing through London in fairly sizable quantities. And so that, to me, you've seen, if you sort of take a step back and look and see, um, you know, sort of this daisy chain of events where you start to set up non-commodity uh, settlement or not, excuse me, non-dollar settlement of in particular energy. Because if you're China, you know, the bear case in the yuan has been, look, you know, you know, Kyle Bass laid this out right around this time last year uh, on, you know, on uh, a program where he said, look, you know, oil's at 70 and as it goes to 80 and 90 and their, and their energy consumption rises, you know, they're barely in a current account surplus position right now. And as oil prices rise and their consumption rises, they're going to go into a deficit position. They're either going to have to burn down FX reserves or they're going to have to uh, devalue the yuan. And historically, for any emerging market, any country in the world that was not the U.S., that was true because those were the two levers. Um, that's what the IMF and reserve adequacy math shows you. Um, however, once you start having a quorum of big energy suppliers selling in Yuan, Russia, Iran, Venezuela is more than enough. Um, you know, like I said, we've heard very credible rumbling. Saudis are, are on board. Uh, then suddenly that dynamic changes drastically because China can now print Yuan for oil. Uh, and if you saw this happening, it would show up in the marketplace, you know, in a couple of things. And, and the reason it's huge is because if you look at China's current account, if you, China's non-commodity trade surplus is $700 billion in 2018, according to the IIF. And so basically, they're not going to have a current account, you know, deficit balance of payments problem for the yuan for a long, long time if they can get people to sell them energy in particular, but commodities more broadly in their own currency. And of course, Putin probably doesn't even trust the yuan, but as we've seen from what Russia's done with gold, Putin trusts gold, the Iranians trust gold, Saudis trust gold, Venezuelans trust gold, they all trust gold. The only currency that's better in the world than the dollar is gold. And so China's been leveraging this. Uh, and you know, interestingly, we've seen the gold to oil ratio go from you know, 6x when Putin started buying gold in 2008, it's at 80x today. Um, or, or it was last week, it's about 75x today. And so, um, you know, because the oil market's 10 times the size, 15 times the size of the physical gold market. And so I think that this, um, you know, this pressure on the dollar, again, it, it becomes self, um, you know, it becomes self, uh, uh, you know, immolating, for lack of a better word, because the more the dollar goes up, the faster it becomes important for China and others to move away from it on the commodity side. And once you do that on the commodity side, then you can do this broader reset where the dollar gets marked down because if you mark the dollar down before you know you can buy current you know you can buy commodities in your own currency all you're going to do is hyperinflate everybody's energy bill and the whole system collapses that way so that the fact that they've been working on this as long as they have and the fact that we've seen these moves in the minute markets you know suggests that we're probably further along this path than a lot of people in the markets appreciate well that's, yeah I, that, that's yeah, let, ahead, me, let me just, my biggest problem with, with, with this line of thinking is not that it exists and not that it shouldn't be considered. It should. And, you know, I, this is where I give Luke a lot of credit because he's done a lot of good work digging into these, you know, alternative ways of payment and trade setups. And I, I think this is something everybody should consider and everybody should know about. My, my issue becomes when you take a possibility and you turn it into a high probability event. And then when people trade on this information because they think, you know, there's this, you know, special purpose vehicle between Iran and Europe that can, they can now do this barter system 
And, you know, as a result, the dollar is going to lose value. So, you know, get rid of your dollar exposure and go buy euros or something like that. And it's, it, you know, I kind of, I like this de-dollarization stuff for the same reason I like science fiction. You know, it's cool. It's creative. It's out of the box. And in 10 or 20 years, some of it will be true. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you can put an investment policy in place for the next 12 to 16, 18 months on it. Now you can think about it and maybe you have a little bit of exposure there, but you don't, you don't go from, you know, a dollar based global payment system to this European special purpose vehicle who's done one transaction of $500,000 of medical supplies so that Europe could say they helped Iran, you know, during this COVID outbreak. I mean, there's been one transaction in this thing done. It's less than a million bucks and it's all political, you know, cover if nothing else. So, you know, do these little hoses exist on the bit? Yeah. And do these little outlets, they exist? Yeah. Do they relieve a little bit of pressure? Yeah. But they do not solve the overall, the overall issue of, of the dollar pressure. Wait, they don't, they don't with gold at 1600 bucks with gold at 16,000 bucks with gold at 26,000 bucks, 36,000 bucks. That's, that is why this is so binary in my view is that, it's not going to be this phase transition. It's going to be, um, you know, it's, it's going to be on off basically in my view, it basically, um, you know. So are you, so are you saying the world is going to go to a gold standard overnight? And no, I, what I'm, no, no, no. What I'm saying is that you can see it's, it's not a theory. You can see it in the market, right? The, the, the price of gold in oil terms has gone from six barrels to 80 barrels in, in 10 years, 12 years. That's a fact. Um, yeah. And but what, so what, what does that have to do with the, the non-dollar payment system? Has everything to do with it. Because okay, so explain means, it to me. So if Putin, who's the world's biggest energy exporter, yeah. is stopped buying dollars, he stopped buying treasuries, yep. sold them all, and he's, and he's instead storing surpluses in gold, wherever he sources that gold, he's effectively bringing gold back into the system. He is, the gold was the reference point for oil going back to 1850. 1850 yep. to 1971 with small periods. So for 121 years, the reference point for oil was gold. First through the sterling, gold-backed sterling, and then second through the gold-backed dollar. That, the, the price of oil in that time was remarkably stable, as it makes sense. And so what Putin's effectively been doing over the last 10, 12 years by doing this, and why he's been persona non grata number one, in my view, um, is effectively calling bullshit on the currency peg that existed in London, which was the US dollar is one thirteen hundredth of an ounce of gold. And he said, okay, if that's the price of gold, then give me the gold. I'll take the gold, I'll take the gold. And what this ultimately does then is it starts to force, because the gold market is so much smaller than the oil market, it starts to force uh, the oil market to fit inside the gold market. And if the oil market tries to fit inside the gold market, Either gold's got to get a lot bigger, weakening the dollar, or why does it have to? Why does that have to weaken the dollar? Uh, just historically speaking, if the if we woke up tomorrow, why can't, why, why can't they both go up? Well, they could, they could conceivably, but the, so the, is the, the, did the did the oil to gold ratio go because gold become much more valuable, or did it because because oil went to ten bucks or fifteen bucks? Well, and that's that's the key. Ultimately, what Putin is doing is forcing the United States to make a choice. It can have the shale industry or it can have the dollar valued at one thirteen hundredth of an ounce of gold, but it can't have both. And, and that's what he's effectively trying to do. Okay. And so, I mean, you can see it, like I said, it's gone from six X to eight to 20 X 
you know, and what the Chinese have done ultimately is say, but it's because, but it's because demand for oil has fallen off the cliff. It's not because gold has gone through the roof. Well, of course. I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's absolutely, it's absolutely part of it. But by the same token, we could say, hey, the dollar's at 102 because, you know, 30% of the world could die. I mean, you know, or the 30% of the world's economy shut down. You know, that's- I just, I just don't see how this solves the dollar, the dollar shortage. I hear what you're saying. And I agree that countries around the world are buying gold so that they can use it, but no, it doesn't yeah. solve the dollar. It doesn't solve the, do solve the dollar shortage. Not at 1600. No, at 16,000. Yes. At but we, but we've got a we, we've got more gold than anybody. So sure. why wouldn't the value of the dollar go up as gold goes up? Historically, um, only because you know, historically, if the gold goes up, the dollar goes down. It's a, it's an anti you know, it's our currency. It's your problem. But it doesn't have to always be the case. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But ultimately, if you look at um, how much you know, let's say you know the gold cover of everybody's international debt. You know, what you're currently looking at is the positive for, let's say, you know, if, if gold goes to 16,000, what's the U.S.'s gold coverage versus Russia's gold coverage versus uh, Yeah, Russia coverage. would be covered by five times, I think, and we'd be exactly. covered. We'd be exactly. covered once. But we'd be covered once. And, right. and people want our currency five times as much as they want the ruble. So we're about even. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. But the, but the punchline is it basically, it gets them away from the weaponization of the dollar. And the more this happens, the higher gold goes, the less they need the dollar. You know, basically you're moving settlement of commodities away from the but then dollar. They would have, but then they would have to pay for things with their gold rather than oh. the dollar. And it wouldn't take too long before their gold was gone and we'd still be on a dollar system. No, it depends on the valuation and, and the current and the deficits. That's basically, if you move to a system where effectively, you're, you know, what Putin's trying to do is revalue gold using his oil, then, you know, yeah, if you're, if you're, no, but for that to happen, we have to go to a gold system. I'm saying if the dollar system goes, if the dollar goes up in the dollar system, you're saying that we go to a system that doesn't have the dollar and it uses gold. No, no, no I'm not saying it doesn't use a dollar. <laughs> no, so let, let me jump in there because, you know, I've, I've, I've given a presentation about this exact same thing, talking yeah. about a potential return to a gold standard, which I think ultimately, even if it's just a stabilization period, at some point it's going to have to happen. But but you're hearing you both go back and forth, and I'm, I'm loath to step in because it's it's great listening to the two of you, you know, debate this back and forth. But when, when you look at both sides of this argument, what do you look for? Uh, Brent, let me start with you. Yeah. What, what do you look for that sends a flare up that, hey, maybe my thesis is either played out and this yeah. is the super spike that we've seen, yeah. or... I'm, I'm just flat out wrong. What are you looking for? Well, so I'll, I'll tell you what I'm looking for. But first, let me tell you that I agree that the system is going to change. I agree that gold is going to go through the roof. I agree that eventually we're going to have something other than just the dollar as the system. But I just think this movement towards setting up something new is too little and too late to happen before the spike. But to answer your question on how, what I would need to see as something that could actually rival the dollar um, in terms of, um, you know, unsettling the dollar so that the pressure could be relieved enough that it didn't go higher. I'd need to see, first of all, there would need to be a new global payment system built and rolled out that everybody agreed to use and everybody knew how to use because right now everything travels over us dollar lines and wires that we control and we can shut off. So until there's an, another alternative, I would need to see that I'd need to see, um, you know, uh, 
everybody agree to do it at the same time. You know, one country, you know, doing it bilaterally with another country, it's not enough because it doesn't relieve the pressure and you've still got to trade with the U.S. in dollars. And the U.S. is still the biggest economy in the world uh, as far as, uh, or literally the number one or two biggest economy in the world. And it's everybody's either first or second biggest training partner. Um, then you'd also, if you, if you decided to, to do it and not trade with dollars and the dollar still existed, you'd have to agree to give up the U.S. consumer because the U.S. isn't going to trade in some other currency. And then you'd also have to be able to do all this and roll it all out uh, under the guise of, uh, under the secrecy so that the U.S. Army didn't find out and enforce the dollar payment system. Um, you know, like the global reserve currency is such a fantastic advantage that it's not just gonna be handed over. Now, is there downsides to it? Of course, do, do the rest of the world want it? Maybe they don't, but the, the bottom line is that, you know, I, being the global reserve currency, it's kind of like being a vampire. You know, you, first morning you wake up and you can hardly believe it's true, uh, but then you realize that you have all this power and you can kind of do whatever you want. And the next 50 or 60 years are pretty cool. You know, but then you kind of start to realize that along with all the power comes a lot of, uh, there, there, there's a little bit of a curse as well. It's not quite as fun anymore. You start to notice that all the people around you are starting to look at you a little different. They're kind of gr growing wise to your, you know, evil ways. And you see them shopping for crucifixes and cloves of garlic. And so, yeah, the threats to your existence start to rise a little bit. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're still the vampire. You, you st <laughs> you're still more powerful than all of yeah, them. But, but, but Brent, at some point, someone surprises you and puts a stake through your heart, yeah. right? That, that's and, how it and, ends. It's and, not, and, it, and, it, and it will happen. It, it will but happen. My point is they don't, they don't gently walk towards you and you have a chat and they go, listen, I'm just going to, this stake, you see me, you can see you whittling it away. I'm going to put this, it's like, bang, the end comes. And, and so, so I guess the other answer, when I see somebody that's willing to walk up to the vampire and put a stake in their heart, that'd be a sign that I need to get out of the dollar. <laughs> right. Right. Look, look, what about you? When you, when you? when you look at this, and I know you guys talk about this and I know you both have, a great deal of respect for each other's thesis and look in many ways as we've discovered today you're very much aligned to pair of you and how you think this plays out it's really just a timing issue um what do you look at luke that that, that screams to you shit you know I, I could be wrong about this um i mean look it's you know it's what where could i be wrong uh it's not when the department of defense says we have critical problems because we've offshored so much of our production um, it's not when, you know, the most powerful country in the world is begging uh, China for face masks and ventilators, uh, begging for, for them, because we don't make them on our own anymore. Um, it's not when we spent the last 20 years overseas uh, effectively, you know, fighting uh, battles to try to stop this from happening already. Um, it's not when global central banks stop buying treasuries. Um, it's not, you know, you know, I've had this discussion with Brent, like who's going to overtake us? You know who's going to overtake us? Compound interest is going to overtake us. Compound interest is undefeated all time against all empires. And how do I know this has started? Because the Fed, you know, because overnight duration, you know, or over, overnight rate, you know, traded through duration back in September, overnight rates traded through duration. We had repo rates spike, you know, eight to 10%. And, you know, the United States is funding 70% of its 12, tri 12 trillion back then. Shoot, it's going to be, you know, 20, 30 trillion in gross issuance probably this year at this pace. But, um, you know, the 12 trillion in issuance, gross issuance last year was all taking place at the short end. So when short, aid rents, short end rates spike, that's a problem. It means there's not enough demand. 
Uh, and yes, yeah, some of it was regulatory, et cetera. The fact, like we are seeing, um, you know, the Fed, you know, be called back in to basically finance the U.S. And the reason they're doing this is because no one's more short dollars. Not because, like Brent said, it's not because the, the Fed's nice. It's because the Fed has to. Because otherwise the U.S. will default on treasuries nominally because our asset markets are the economy. You know, if you look at, you know, foreigners will have to sell stocks to get dollars. And the problem is stocks, there is no U.S. consumer without stocks rising. 60% of GDP is consumption. 200% of consumption growth comes from rising asset prices. So basically, the second the dollar starts to force foreigners to sell and sell treasuries, alarm bells go off at the Fed and they start printing money. And so, you know, for me, if, if for me to think I would be wrong would have to be either um, the Fed basically thinking that they're going to just basically collapse the entire system. You know, if they said, hey, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to let U.S. We're going to let J.P. Morgan fail. We're going to let them fail. And we're going to let every big bank in the world fail. Then, then I think, you know, yeah, I'll be wrong. Um, if, I think we if, should probably define like what is wrong, right? I mean, it's, we, we, yeah, we both point. largely agree on a lot of different stuff, right? It, it's really one of timing, you know, uh, I guess I, I would define if I'm wrong, if, if the spike in dollars doesn't come and they were able to roll out some new program and we just go down from here and the dollar goes to, you know, goes down 20% and it never spikes, then, you know, I'm wrong. You know, that, that's how I'm wrong. I'm, I'm not quite sure how Luke is wrong because Luke's recently been saying the super spike could happen, but it would be a very short period of time and then they'd get it under control. So I, I'm not even sure how Luke is wrong. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of questions coming in and we're obviously going to run a little bit longer if you guys have a bit more time, but um, I'll get to some of that. And a lot of them revolve around replacement payment systems, the Bancor, the IMF, the SDR. How do you guys both see potential multipolar currency replacements for the dollar? Brent, you've obviously done a lot of thinking about this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that will eventually happen. Um, I, and I, and I, I think people will try to get away from the dollar. I just think it's a trap and I don't think that they can, even if they get away from it, the rest of the world, most of the rest of the world is still going to be on the dollar system. And I don't think that they can get out of the dollar trap, even with these new forms of, you know, these payment systems and these bilateral trade agreements and crypto and, you know, this IMF, you know, thing and the, the, the instex in Europe. I think their garden hoses hooked up to a fire hose, and I think they're largely irrelevant. Um, they'll help a little few people here and there, but I don't think it can solve the dollar spike. I don't think, I, I, it's unclear to me why Brent thinks anyone would need to uh, switch out of the dollar system. I'm not saying anyone's gonna stop using the dollar. What I'm saying is, is settlement in dollars has already stopped. We saw it five, six years ago in 3Q14, when global central banks stop settling trade in treasuries. And so, you know, for me, the alternative system, it's, it's, simply, making, it's simply making a neutral reserve asset, a Bancor, an IMF SDR, gold, big enough to settle the key part of the world that creates these imbalances, which are all around commodities. Um, and so where I think you're, you're going is you basically will see a near instantaneous repricing of, you know, at this point, because we're already in a disorderly situation, I don't think we're going to get a monetary conference, um, you know, a, a near binary repricing of gold higher, at least to start. Uh, you know, maybe you go to central bank digital currencies, uh, maybe you go to some sort of neutral settlement asset, but boom, overnight, you know, gold is, you know, $20,000 an ounce. And now globally, 
Uh, if you want to import oil, you know, you need to settle at, you know, some value relative to your currency, right? So if you are, let's say, you know, what I think where you go is, is you have, you know, the IMF or the SD, you know, the IMF, you know, talked about in 2011, they said, we need to price oil and gold in SDRs. So let's say the IMF says, okay, you know, uh, the value of oil relative to gold in SDRs is, you know, instead of 15 to one, like it was long-term and instead of, you know, 80 to one, like it is now it's, you know, it's 200 to one, it's 200 barrels per ounce of gold. And you've got to have SDRs uh, to do that. And you can only come up with SDRs through having, you know, uh, running a surplus. The currency system would reorder itself instantly. You don't need to change the dollar system. You still can process through dollars. You can just do process through all the pipelines and everything. You're just talking about changing the settlement reserve asset at the back end. You're still using all the same currencies. I mean, I'll be using the dollar for, you know, when my, when my kids have kids. But And you think the U.S. stands by and, and agrees to this? I do, because it's in their national interest. I disagree, but that's fine. I, at least I yeah, no, but look, look, expand on that a little bit, because I, 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 you know, that Brent's question occurs to me too. It's, it's not something that seems willingly something that the U.S. would agree to. So when you talk about the national interest, just expand on that for me a little bit. So in, you know, at the end of 2018, the Defense Department did a report where they noted that uh, they are running into critical supply shortages. Um, the amount of things they're sole sourcing from China. Um, the uh, 2011, uh, the, at very high levels of the, the Pentagon, uh, they did um, studies where they indicated that um, the U.S. had until 2021 uh, to sort of get their house in order. And after that, the world would be dictating us from a financial standpoint. Um, you know, the, the head of the chairman, the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, 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 Admiral Michael Mullen, back in 2012, you know, the greatest threat to the United States is not terrorism, it's not global warming, it's not weapons of mass destruction, it's our national debt. We are borrowing money from China to build weapons to face down China, you know, using Chinese components. And so the challenge within all this is that this is how the system is set up. The post $71 system mandates that we run the deficits to supply the currency for the entire world. And so there was a great article in the FT last year, FT Alphaville, Alphaville uh, entitled, uh, you know, how to diagnose your own Dutch disease. And Dutch disease is this, you know, it's, it's named after the Netherlands where, you know, they discovered a bunch of, of fossil fuels and, you know, it got them very rich, very fast. And it, it basically led to a wasting away of all the rest of the economy. And it's, it's since, you know, been associated with, uh, you know, fossil fuels exporters, but it's come to be known as Dutch disease. At any rate, you know, what this article notes is that the United States post-1971 became the Saudi Arabia of money. And if you look at what has happened to the U.S. economy since 1971 is manufacturing left, the ability to produce our own goods left, um, the working class left, the middle class left, you know, wealth inequality blew out. And so it's in our national interest and it's in the Department of Defense's national interest because all of a sudden we're seeing it brought home in stark reality in this crisis. We are begging, we are begging China for masks. In a war, as things get chippy with China in a war, does, does anybody actually think China's gonna go, yeah, you know what, we're gonna sell you the rare earths to, to, to hit us with. And oh, by the way, we'll keep sending the iPhones and we'll, no, as the world gets more chippy, as the world gets you know, more tense, you know, the, the strategists at the Pentagon realize 
this is a problem. Um, and so in a war, who is going to accept CNY for payment in oil? Cause we're not going to let them transact in dollars. That's where the gold comes in, man. Okay. And it's, well, and it's, and it's already happening. Yeah, right. That's, that's where that, that whole shadow system comes about. There's been a ton of questions um, in the feed uh, about uh, cryptocurrencies. And Luke, you, you brought up, you know, maybe digital currency is the answer. I know neither of you guys is, is a hardcore crypto guy, but, but you've obviously thought about this. What role do you think crypto plays in any new monetary order, any reset brand? So I think crypto is coming and I think it can actually contribute to the dollar getting stronger. Um, my friend Max Bronstein, who uh, my friend Max Bronstein, who is a employee at Coinbase, just wrote a great paper on how that could potentially happen. I think that's going to be going out later this week, so I encourage you all to read it when, when it when it does. But also think of it from this perspective: um, if we, issue, you know, in the in one of the bills, I, I'm not sure if it made it into the final bill. There was even a talk about a, you know, the the ability to distribute money to to U.S. citizens via, you know, some kind of a digital currency or, or a Fed coin or whatever it was. But I think that would be a way to do helicopter money for the people and do it only for U.S. citizens as opposed to the rest of the world. Um, that they could do that as, a, as some form of MMT uh, program uh, where the money's just spent into existence rather than loaned into existence. And I think it would be a way to increase velocity of money inside the United States while there is zero velocity of money outside the United States, which would- Where would they create... buy the goods? What's that? Where would they buy the goods? We don't make anything. <laughs> okay, <Luke. laughs> We can't even, no, I'm serious. We, we, Luke, they Luke, give us dollars. Luke, Where are those Luke, dollars Luke, gonna go? Luke, we'll go buy Chevys and Impalas and we'll, we'll buy food from California and we'll take, uh, you know, we'll take uh, JetBlue instead of taking Air France. Um, you know, if, if, if every country gets locked down and no trade happens with anybody, I'll put my money on the USA every day of the week. Not because I think we're the greatest country in the world, but because we just happen to get, win the geographic lottery. And I think that we can withstand, you know, the, everybody going to the mattresses, that, that thing from the, from the Godfather, I think we can hold out longer than anybody else. You know, God help us, I hope it doesn't come to that. But if it did, I think we would be able to uh, withstand it better than anybody else. Again, this is a relative game. It's a relative game. We're all gonna we're all gonna go down at varying speeds. Um, I just think that we go down slower than everybody else. So now, what, now let, let's let's get back to gold because um, I think the three of us all the one thing we agree in is the end game for this is much higher gold prices, right? Because yeah. it, it's it's almost necessary at this point that they go higher. So my question to you, Brent, I'll start with you because you and I've talked about this a lot. Let, yeah. Let's talk about gold and and how that takes place because remarkably to me, given what's happened in the last couple of weeks, the promises that have been made, not just by the Fed, but by the ECB and the Bank of Japan quietly and everybody else, the fact that gold is really not doing anything crazy has really surprised me. And I understand the washout. There's a, lot, yeah. a few questions here talking about the gold's going to go down below a thousand before it goes up. I don't think that's the case. I could be completely wrong. How do you see gold playing out from here? And what do you make of it? really kind of treading water at this point, given the promises yeah. that have been made. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> uh, oh, and there's a follow up. When's it going to 5,000, as that guy asked me last night? Yeah, well, we, in the Canadian dollar and the Australian dollar, it might be in the next year. So, you know, it depends on where you're located. But, uh, 
Okay, so I always have to like qualify this because you know I've you know you know me, Grant. I think gold is one of the greatest assets in the world. I think everybody should own it. I think it's going to be the winner long term. And I think if you don't own gold, you're a little bit crazy for not owning it, not for owning it. But I also think people in the gold world are a little bit crazy thinking that gold has to go up every time something bad happens and that if it doesn't, gold's not doing its job or whatever. I mean, I think gold's doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. Oh, I totally, um, I totally agree. You know, gold and other currencies is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. You know, in the last year, we have had, think about it, we've had a trade war. We had the Fed totally pivot. We had the debt ceiling that was, ex that, uh, that was exceeded. We had this functional um, Euro Iran thing roll out. We had, uh, the Fed, you know, Trump was openly questioning the Fed. We had the balance sheet that exploded. We've gone back to QE. You know, swap lines have been, you know, opened. And, you know, gold's at 1700 and the dollar's higher. So, you know, just because these things happen doesn't mean necessarily mean that gold needs to go higher right away in dollar terms. And part of the reason is because despite the people in the gold world that hate hearing me say this, there is huge demand for the dollar. There just is. I don't really like it. It just is. Um, and, you know, the, I think that when we ha I don't even think the dollars made its move yet. Dollar, the dollar had a little tiny run and everybody freaked out, right? Um, and, and, and look what the dollar has done to the rest of the world, other than the euro and the yen, look what it's done to all the other, you know, regions of the world. What it, look what it's done to their currencies. You know, gold and Brazilian real and Australian dollar and Turkish lira, it's gone through the roof. But it hasn't gone through the roof in dollar terms yet because it hasn't needed to go through the, the roof in dollar terms yet. The dollar is still very much in demand. You can use the dollar all around the world. Anywhere you go in the world, they're going to take your dollar. The, the reason they've opened swap lines with the rest of the world is the rest of the world is crazy to get dollars right now. Um, so I actually still think the dollar, that the gold is going to go lower in the short term. Now, it, I own gold. If it goes higher, that's going to be fine. You know, I own it for insurance. It's like, I don't think I'm going to wreck my car tomorrow, but I still have car insurance. Um, you know, and, and, you know, gold, whether you like it or not, Grant, you did a whole presentation on this gold, the price of gold versus the price, you know, the gold price. And, you know, the reality is, is that the speculators have close to their biggest position ever on the comics and speculators trade on high levels of margin. And when, when the gold price starts to go against them, they don't have any chance, choice but to liquidate, right? And I think we're probably going to get a few more margin calls over the next few months. And I think gold will go down when that happens. You know, the other thing that's been talked about is this, all of this huge premium for physical gold. You can't get physical gold. Okay. There's truth to this. If you want gold right now today, there's a huge premium. But it's not because the gold doesn't exist. The gold exists. The supply is there. The problem is, is trade isn't happening. You can't get a shipment of gold from, you know, from the mines to Switzerland to be refined and then from Switzerland to the brokers uh, or to whoever, to the vaults. Uh, but it's not that the gold isn't there. It's just not moving. I believe once this COVID thing is hopefully lifted at some point and trade starts to happen and goods start to flow, I think that premium that you see for physical gold will come down. Now, if I'm wrong, I'm glad to hell that I already own it. I think everybody should own it. I just don't think that you should plan on it paying off right away. Look, what about you? How does gold play into this? I, I think it's it's quickly becoming, you know, critical uh, for the first time in probably 70 years. It's in everybody's interest for the price of gold to rise. Um, you know, ironically, you know, for central banks have been fought gold for as long as they have. Um, they're in a crisis of confidence. Nobody believes the Fed can print enough money fast enough to get inflation up. 
everybody thinks deflation's the route. Otherwise, you wouldn't be betting on the dollar. And so there's no better way to reinstill confidence that the, that the central bank, again, paradoxically, the best way for the central banks to reinstill confidence that they actually still have some power, that they're not out of ammo, is for the price of gold to start rising and maybe rising rapidly. So, you know, I, I think between that and I think between, um, you know, what we're seeing, which is, you know, Fed printing money and handing it out to small businesses, handing it out to, you know, look, they're, they're right now they're filling in a hole, you know, to Brent's point, you know, because the economy's interrupted, gold supplies are interrupted, etc. cetera. Um, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the punchline is that I think ultimately they need inflation. They will, you know, Fed's balance sheet's infinite. I think they're going to demonstrate that probably sooner than most people think. And I think that ultimately that's, that'll be, uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, good news, good news for gold. And I think, you know, that'll be the tricky thing about timing all this is, yeah, if there, you know, if there's a super spike, you know, gold is not going to be able to be found all the way up that super spike because, you know, a lot of people know what a super spike means, uh, which is, you know, at some point on that super spike, you know, the system collapses. And on the other side of that system, you know, you're going to want gold, not dollars um, and gold, not fiat more broadly. Uh, yeah. But, you know, that's, uh, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pause there. Well, look, we, we, we've run a little long. <clears throat> I want to ask you both one more question and that, that gives you the chance to be to go down history as visionaries, and if you get it wrong, uh, you can just claim like we all do that we're only guessing about the future. Uh, I can't. This is going to be good. All right. Oh, Fred, okay. So I just everything that we've seen, right? The, the COVID panic is a complete unknown. We understand that, right? Um, we understand that central banks are now loose cannons. They are likely and liable to do absolutely anything at this point to keep this on. We've seen Janet Yellen talking about maybe the Fed should be able to buy stocks. You know, junk bonds. Are probably in the mix somewhere. And as I was joking today, maybe three-year-old Ford F-150 is coming off leases the Fed are going to start buying. But how do you see the next three to four months playing out? Let's say that the, the virus stays as it is. It's a, it's a problem to shut down. What's your game plan to get through the next three, three or four months? Uh, you want me to answer? I'll answer. Um, yeah, so let, you go, let you go first. I'm going to speak to the last loop. Are you talking about on an investment standpoint or on a social yeah, standpoint? Just, just ha well, yeah, well, <laughs> social is easy, right? Stay at home in your pajamas and your bathroom. Uh, well, I'll just tell you how I'm positioned. I own stocks right now. I own short-term fixed income. Um, I think that we're going to go back down and retest the lows that we experienced a couple weeks ago on stocks. But I think that's a level where I will add. Um, and I think we might even go a little bit lower than we went a couple weeks ago. But uh, that's, a, that's an area where I feel comfortable owning U.S. equities. Um, I have a number of positions on around the world. I'm short a number of currencies. I have put options on a number of currencies, and I'm short uh, emerging market debt, stuff like that. So I'm positioned for a retest of the lows the, for the U.S., but I expect that to then be a rebound, and I expect the rest of the world to continue to deflate. All right. That's fair enough. How about you, bud? I think we are into um... – a very binary situation where, and I think it's already started in terms of, you know, what we saw on the downside uh, before. Um, and it's this interesting situation, you know, the, the, the downside and risk and the upside and the dollar, uh, they're the inverse, you know, to Brent's point, um, I, I think is going to be a situation where you can be, you can be right before, or you can look silly before and, and look like a genius after, 
or you can look like a genius before and look silly after. Uh, and you can, and the only asset that is going to do fine ahead of time and great after is gold. You know, and I think, you know, Bitcoin probably as well and probably silver and gold miners. And so I'm, I'm really overweight. Uh, those three gold and gold miners in particular, uh, Bitcoin, silver to a lesser extent. Um, and, you know, the challenge in that, in, in, in going into, you know, I'm, I'm of the camp. I want to look real. I want to look, I, I want to look silly before I'd rather look silly before and smart after than smart before and silly after. And, and, and so, you know, the, 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 you know, the, 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 you know, strong dollar, the TLT, you know, long bonds, treasury, sovereign debt broadly, that's all part of the, you know, the, that they're going to do really well into sort of this binary view. And then on the other side, um, you know, will be, you know, gold equities, et cetera. Like I said, gold, I think both sides. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm still, I was, you know, moving move money from gold and, or excuse me, from equities into gold and gold miners in December and January. Um, I, I have not begun to add back. I still have a decent equity position. Um, you know, I'm looking to add on further weakness uh, because I do think you could see a retest of the lows. But, um, you know, to me, it's really this this binary. And, you know, A, I want a position for looking better after, number one. But number two, I'm, I'm like I said, the one thing that does really well on either side is gold. And, and I'm really overweight that as a result. Can I make one last point? Can I make one last I just want to say one last, because I, I get this question all the time and I've gotten literally hundreds of them in the last two or three weeks. So, you know, the, and the question is, how much longer can this last? And listen, my point of view, I'm going to steal a line from Winston, Winston Churchill here. I think it was him that said this, but I, I, this isn't the beginning of the end. I, it might be the end of the beginning, but this has a long way to go. The dollar might pull back 5% in the next three months. I don't know what the hell it's going to do in the next three months. But I think over the next one to two to three years, the Fed's going to lose control and the dollar's going to go through the roof. So anybody that's wondering, am I about ready to you know, throw away the, you know, the dollar and go short the dollar? No, the answer is no. The dollar's going much higher. I think anybody that follows your Twitter feed was in no doubt of that before you put it there, Brent, anyway. But look, guys, I can't thank you enough. We've, we've run a little long. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate that I get to talk to you guys a lot more than most people on this call. And I apologize for the questions we didn't get to, for those of you sending them in, um, because uh, there were so many, but it was just such a great conversation. I've, I've had a ball, as I always do. Guys, thank you for being so generous with your knowledge, so generous on Twitter with this back and forth. And so... You know, respectfully disagreeable with each other because it's, I mean, it's I, you know, gold and everybody loves it to you. I mean, I should, I should say, and I, and I think Luke would agree, if Luke and I bumped into each other in an airport, we could probably sit there and talk and laugh for a couple hours. I think Luke's a great guy. I disagree with him on a lot of things, but it's not because I think he's, uh, I know he does a lot of hard work. I know he means well, and I know he's actually doing uh, what he's doing because he wants to help people. So, you know, any time it comes across as mean-spirited between Luke and I, there, there may be some frustration there, but there's no personal animosity. I agree. Thank you so much for listening, Luke, Brent. Thanks, guys. I owe you a beer. See you both soon. Thanks very much, everybody. Bye, guys. Thanks, guys.